Welcome, and thank you for joining with us today for the teaching and preaching ministry from Central Baptist Church in Kannapolis, North Carolina. As associate pastor, Barry Murray shares from the Bible how to live in a fallen world. The goal of Central Baptist Church is to change the world by teaching the Word of God. Come, let's listen in. Genesis 37, I want to, uh, uh, I almost spent a lot of time in Scripture tonight to lay the story. The story is very familiar to all of us this evening. Uh, you're going to know it, many of it, much of it. You're going to be ahead of me when I get, get to it. But I have some uh, principles, some philosophies in, in this, this text this evening that I think if you listen to me, uh, it'll encourage you uh, on how good God is. It'll encourage you uh, how God takes a bad thing and turns it into a good thing. And uh, but we need to be reminded about that often in our Christian life because we're pretty much by nature, as was this pastor, pastor says, they'd be downers. And we have a hard time sometimes picking up on things. But I want to talk about Joseph, who I think uh, is one of my probably, I don't want to say favorite, I don't know if I have a favorite in Scripture, but I like talking uh, and, and teaching about Joseph uh, out of Scripture. What I'm going to do is for the rest of this year when I have uh, my turn on Wednesday nights, and I'm not sure what all those are yet, but I know they're coming. Uh, I'm going to go back to Genesis and talk about Joseph's story and different things. I have a whole series about this, uh, uh, him and Joseph and what God did to him, and, and some I think are very helpful. But tonight we're going to look at here uh, the thought about what Joseph, God meant it unto good. God meant it unto good. So let's stand here and read a few verses here of Genesis chapter 37, and uh, we'll jump into this. And, and uh, we won't read, we won't stand for every scripture. Because, well, if I did that, you would stay awake. But I'm not going to do that because it does bring some confusion. But look at verse number one. And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. And these are generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brother, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. Oh, he had more than one wife. And Joseph uh, brought unto his father their evil report. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, and this is hard for me to imagine, they hated him. It's not a matter that they had a bad feeling or they were mad about it or they were upset about it, but they hated him over that. And uh, kind of strange, we'll talk about that a little bit later on. And could not speak peaceably unto him. They didn't, they didn't even want to talk to their own brother because they felt like he was daddy's favorite. And you got a favorite child in your family, don't raise your hand. I know... I know because I have a favorite grandchild that one of those grandchildren is your favorite above the rest, right? Grandparents, be on, don't tell me who it is, but be honest, but you love them all. But uh, we're going to see the beginning here of Joseph's troubles begin here. Thank you, Lord, for the word of God. We ask you to bless us tonight. And Lord, I just want to encourage us tonight as a group of believers that whatever you bring our way, it's somehow meant for our good and for what's good in our lives. So we ask you to bless this time now. In your name I pray. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Thank you so much. I know this is very familiar to some of us. As I mentioned already, if you hang on, 
uh, to me this evening. I, I believe I'll help you out with a few things about this, this story. I'm basically going to tonight just do a quick overview of Joseph up until the time when his, his uh, uh, till Jacob comes to live in Egypt there uh, tonight. We're not going to cover verse by verse, but we're going to just go through the story. Then as the year goes on, I'll go back on Wednesday nights and I'll pick out different portions and talk about them. But we know here that Joseph was hated by his brothers because he was the father's favorite. Joseph's being sent to check on his brothers. And when they saw him coming, if you read there, and I read this over many times since last week, many times already, before they, he even got there, they saw him coming and they began to conspire what should they do to him? Here comes that brother. And here he comes. What are we going to do? Oh, well, once they were suggested that maybe we should just go ahead and kill him, right? Let's just kill him. I can't even imagine the hatred you have to kill your brother, your younger brother, who actually hadn't done anything against you personally, right? His father may have, but he had done, he's just a 17-year-old boy here uh, trying to be obedient to what his father asked him to do. It's not his fault that daddy chose him to be the favorite. But they, they were conspiring about wanting to kill him. And finally, Reuben stepped up into the, into the scene and talked to the brothers. Listen, we got no business uh, killing him. We got no business going on. Uh, let's just get him here and see what we need to do. Here's a pit over here. We'll throw him in the pit. We'll talk about what to do, and uh, we'll see what happens. So Joseph no longer gets there. He comes in. They uh, get him. They strip him off of his coat of many colors, and they throw him in the pit and trying to figure out what they're going to do with him. Now, evidently, Reuben must have gone off and done checked the sheep or something like that. He wasn't there, and all of a sudden, this group of Midianites, Ishmaelites, come from over the horizon. You know the story. They're going to come and they're going to buy Joseph. Uh, they're going to uh, buy him for 20 pieces of silver. He's sold into slavery. And if you read on there in chapter 37, when Reuben comes back, he looks in the pit and says, hey, where's Joseph at? Oh, we forgot to tell you, we sold him. You sold our brother. You sold our dad's favorite. And then they conspired and they wrote about that story some other time. But what a tragedy that this was happening to Joseph. And he ended up finding himself being obedient to his father. He finds himself being sold into slavery. And what, a, what a tragedy. When he was just going out to help his brothers with some snacks and to see what was going on for his dad, and uh, they sell him. But we know what Joseph said in chapter 50, verse 20, after they come back from burying their dad. Joseph says, but as for you, you thought evil against me. But God meant it unto good to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. And I don't have time to break that verse down. Later on in the year, I'll probably get to that, that verse to talk about some more. But can you imagine how God took this one little incident with his 17-year-old teenager, uh, hated by his brother and uh, uh, conspired against, and then sold... Uh, of course, he was accused of being a spy by his brothers. You're spying on us to go back and tell daddy what wrong we're doing, these kind of things, and to throw all kinds of things out there. But yet, God and Joseph said, listen, you thought evil against me, but God had much people 
that needed to be saved from this. Because God uses this incident to spare his people. Right? As we know down the road. And uh, what a horrible coincidence going on here. And what a, a terrible uh, tragedy taking place here. But what, he, what he, Joseph's brothers were thinking, uh, uh, boy, what can we do with him? And then all of a sudden these uh, Ishmaelites, these merchantmen come over traveling down to Egypt. And, uh, and they say, hey, here's our way out. And all these things kind of happen on purpose, don't they? Because God needs to get Joseph to a place he needs to be. He's getting Joseph somewhere. Now, I, mean, I could spend a long time on decisions have to be made and all those kind of things. I don't have time for that tonight. But listen, tonight, God's ways are not our ways. And, and God knows all things. And he knows down the road what's happening. So he needs to get this young teenage boy, Joseph, to learn some lessons, to get him to Egypt, because one day he is going to spare the known world from famine along with his family, and get his dad and his brothers and everyone there in Egypt to be taken care of during this famine time. And we know that his brothers were hard-hearted against him, and they, they, as they ate lunch, they, I'm sure they can imagine Joseph crying out of this pit for mercy, and they sold him, and you know, they took the coat, and they tore it, and they put animal's blood on there that Jacob would have thought certainly that he had been uh, uh, killed by an animal, and then uh, Jacob's probably blaming himself because he sent Joseph out there. And uh, no doubt he blamed himself as a loving parent. This is my fault. This happened because of me. And all along, it was heartless brothers who lived with that lie. But many years later, they come face to face, don't they? And I know, listen, I remember the sermon I've heard over and over again. I've seen an old black and white video of this. Uh, it was uh, payday someday. R.G. Lee preach a sermon over and over again. I believe he was a Tennessee preacher, and he had that Tennessee speech about him, and he gave that sermon about payday someday, and someday his brothers would face what they had done to their brother. So you see he's been sold once. Go to chapter 39, if you would, with me. Chapter 39, let's read a few verses there, and we'll jump into the notes here for tonight's lesson. Chapter 39, verse number 1. And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him at the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had bought, brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph, and I love this verse. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and, and he, I'm sorry, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian, his master saw that the Lord was with him and the, that the Lord had made all that he did to prosper in his hands. We know the story that he sold again. We know that Potiphar buys him. He brings him into his house. And all of a sudden, Potiphar knows something about this young man that there's something special about him. Every, every uh, job he tried to tackle, he tackled it. And when he tackled it, it prospered. Everything he did for him within his house uh, prospered. So number one is this tonight. Uh, Joseph was better off in Egypt. He was better off in Egypt. Uh, Joseph was better off in Egypt in the care of God than he was in Canaan land among his brothers who despised him. 
And while you and I look at that and say, that is so foreign, that is so false, but he was better off in the situation he was at because God was with him and everything he did was prospering. Uh, Do you know tonight that God is with you? And no matter what men do to you or choose to say about you, if you walk with God, he's going to honor your life. He's going to bless you. He's going to take care of you. And Joseph served in the house of Potiphar until his wife set his eyes on him. We'll get that in a second here. But uh, even quickly, Potiphar recognized that, man, this young boy, there's something about him in my house is prospering because of him. Again, that he had, as we'll read in a second, he had free reign of everything that was Potiphar's except his wife. Because everything he touched prospered. And boy, tonight, do you realize that whatever your circle of influence is, being a believer, walking with God, that that area prospers because you're in that area? Now, if you're not right with God, that's another story. But I used to think, when I, and I've spent many, many uh, uh, days working uh, in car dealerships or uh, in the world, as, as many of you do, and uh, there is a difference from somebody who knows God and somebody who doesn't know God where I work at. And those who don't know God, they notice the difference in you, by the way. And they pay attention to you. One time, the owner, I worked at a Pontiac dealership for a little while in between ministry places or even while one time I was there. But while we were there, the business went so well that the owner was able to build a brand new facility outside of town. Big, beautiful building. First time I ever got to work in a brand new garage. Actually, you could see what you could see things in the garage. How many of you ever work in a garage? You can't see nothing because it's so dark and dingy, right? Brand new, white cream walls. The concrete was white. The ceilings were white. Plenty of light. Man, I was like, this is a what a blessing. And uh, the owner came out. And we had a little little get together to celebrate the opening of this new place. And. Uh, uh, I forget, some friend of his was there, I forget who he was, and he said to him, his name was Charlie Conkle, and he said, Charlie, do you know that God blesses you because you have people like Barry, and people like Dan, and people like Jimmy who work here for you? And Charlie said, what do you mean? He said, they're Christians, they, they know God. And Charlie said, no, nah, he, he didn't, he didn't want to believe all that. You know how they are. He, I don't want to believe all that. But he's prospering. I, I don't want to tell you this, but about five years after I, I moved away, and moved to Pittsburgh to pastor, the place closed down and he sold it. I'm not saying it was me. Now, listen, I've run plenty of things in the ground. But I was going to tell you, I know God prospers people who follow him. But look at verse 9 here, if you would. There is none greater in this house than I. Joseph's talking to Mrs. Potty. How's that? We'll call her that. So there is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee. Because thou art his wife, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And Joseph's saying to her, uh, I don't know what your problem is, lady. I don't know what you're trying to do. I have... Uh, control of all this house except for you. That's the way it ought to be. But he said, I am not going to sin against God. He didn't say Potiphar. He said God. 
Because if he had done what she was after him to do, it was not a sin so much against Potiphar as it was going to be against God. And God was, and Joseph saying, my God is all sufficient for me. I don't need you. Joseph wasn't saying, look, uh, uh, look, you're another man's wife. I'm not going to commit this sin with you. He said, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And boy, I wonder this evening how our lives would change if we realized that when we sin, it's not necessarily against somebody else. It's against God Almighty. I mean, it's, it's amazing what happened. Joseph ran away from her and uh, he said, listen, I can't do this because I'm going to sin against the God who I serve and the God who I love and the God who's prospered me and the God who's prospered this house. You realize how one time giving in to the temptation can ruin not just your life, but a whole household. And Joseph said, and I think if our mindset would be, if our heart would be, it's not a sin so much against somebody as it will be a sin against God if I do this. I wonder if that would straighten the church up or not. If God's people realize when they sin, especially sin against someone else in their church or their pastor or whatever it may be, this is not so much against the person, it's against, it's against God. If it would change our outlook about things, change how we decide to do things, well, you know, it's just a little white lie. It's just a few dollars. It's just a little gossip. It's just a little whatever it may be. And you realize that sin is not so much against a person, even though it may be, as it is against the God who, who loved me and sent his son to die for me, whom I'm trusting, who I'm trying to live after. That's who I'm sinning against. There's something bigger in the picture. And Joseph's beginning to see there's something bigger than this. And we know the story how Joseph ran away from her and he left his coat behind. But thank God he didn't leave his character. He didn't leave who he was. He didn't leave that behind. And from there, Joseph ends up in prison. Look at verse 21, same chapter, 39. But again, look at this verse. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Look, his brothers didn't like him. They sold him, got rid of him. He shows up in Egypt and all of a sudden Potiphar loves and fire out of this guy. Everything he does prospers and blesses. And uh, uh, then his wife falsely accuses him. I don't think Potiphar had a choice. I don't believe Potiphar believed he did that. But I, I also believe he didn't have a choice what to do with him. Because she cried wolf. He didn't have a choice. Threw him in prison. He gets in prison. And all of a sudden we find the prison guard say, hey, there's something special about this little boy. I know he's a teenager. Something special about him. Uh, everything he does. And he can keep the prison for me. No one will escape. Number two. Number one was he was better off in Egypt. Number two, Joseph was better off in prison. Try, try, to imagine, uh, uh, try to imagine Joseph was once living in the lap of luxury in Potiphar's house. Potiphar was a high leader. He was a rich man. He had everything a man could imagine. Everything was at his disposal. And Potiphar was quite a noble man there in Egypt. However, Joseph was now uh, was better off in prison with his character, with his integrity, with him uh, than living in the lap of luxury in Potiphar's house, he was better off in prison. 
because of his character. And the foundation of Joseph's character was his faith in God. Boy, we we just need to trust God. Whatever we're going through, whatever pit you may end up in, whatever foreign land you may up in, whatever prison you may end up in, if God's guided the way, you're a whole lot better off than you would be living in luxury. I think Moses found out the same thing, didn't he? Look at verse 22. And look at the keeper. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand and all the prisoners that were in the prison. Here, Joseph, you take charge. This is yours. And whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. <laughs> now, I don't know how much you have to do in prison, by the way, but whatever it was, he was doing it. Verse 22, 23. The keeper of the prison looked not anything that was under his hand. He didn't go back and double check them. He didn't go back and verify. He was not really a very good boss because a good boss is someone who inspects, not expects. Right? So he wasn't a very good boss because the Lord was with him and and that which he did, the Lord made it to what? Now, folks, what in the world prospers in prison? The meals? The uh, times you get to go out and watch TV? I I don't know what prospers in prison. But whatever was going on in prison that could prosper, the keeper of the prison said, there is something special about this young man. Somebody he walks with. There's somebody lives with him that I can't see. We want God, see, here's our problem. We want God to remove our problems. We want God to take away our prisons. However, God says, I won't take away your problems or your prisons. In prison, Joseph was getting to meet, of course, the chief butler and the chief baker. And uh, listen, when you come to the end of ourselves, that's when the sweet Lord Jesus gets to step in and make himself known to us. Because when we're living in luxury, let's be honest, we don't cry out to God quite as much as we do as when we were in prison. Would you agree? I mean, when health is good, bills are paid, wife loves you still, there's food to eat, you don't cry as much. But when the wife hates you, there's no food to eat, you're struggling keeping a job, or your health has gone bad, you cry out a whole lot more. Let's be honest tonight now, right? Am I right? Oh, yeah. We cry a lot more. God says that's the sweetest times you and I get to have is when you're in the prison, you and I get to have those sweet times together of fellowship. And everything Joseph did during this time in prison, the keeper was impressed. He said, man, this, this guy prospers. Let's go on here with the story. In prison, he's going to meet the chief butler and the chief baker. Hopefully, as we know, is going to be his way out of this, this predicament, right? So we know uh, he was best place was, was in the was in uh, was in the pit. Best place was in Egypt. Best place was in prison. Let's go on and see what happens here. Verse forty, chapter forty, verse one. I'm just going to jump through a few verses here and get the story out. Not read everything. And it came to pass after these things that the butler of the king of Egypt and his baker had offended the Lord, the king of Egypt. Now I can't imagine what these two guys did, but it must have been pretty bad to end up in jail. Verse five. 
And they dreamed the dream, both of them, each man his dream in one night, each man according to the interpretation of his dream, the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, which were bound in the prison. And Joseph, verse number 12, sorry, verse 12, Joseph said to them, this is the interpretation of it. And he gives them basically the explanation for, the, for his dream, talks about the three branches, says in three days, Pharaoh's going to uh, uh, lift, you, lift you back up, restore you to a place where you need to be at, the butler, of course, and you'll begin, you'll hold the Pharaoh's cup again in verse number 13. He said, but when you leave, think about these things. Think about me. Don't forget me, right? I'm in prison, right? We know the story. Verse 16, well, the chief butler, he's a chief baker now. He's all excited. Hey, this guy's getting out of jail. Don't pass go. Just go ahead and get out of jail, right? He's getting out of jail. Verse 16, Chief Baker saw the interpretation was good. He said to Joseph, I also in my dream, and behold, I had three white baskets on my head. And uh, verse 19, Joseph says, Yet in three days shall Pharaoh lift up thy head from off thee. He shall hang thee on a tree, and the birds shall eat the flesh from off thee. And Joseph didn't tell him, Remember me when you leave. Verse 22, but Pharaoh, he, uh, he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief butler remembered, Joseph, uh, remembered not Joseph, but forgot him or forget him. As we see the life of Joseph in his chronological order here, 17 years of age roughly, he sold into slavery by his brothers. And for the next 13 years, he basically finds himself in a lap of luxury and in prison. And he's prospering all along the way. God brings these two servants of Pharaoh along his way. He's able to interpret their dreams. He's thinking, hey, don't forget about me when you get out of here. Don't forget me. See, we want God to do work quickly. But let me tell you something like God does not work quickly God works thoroughly God is very thorough in what he's doing in our lives he's not concerned about how long it takes but he is thorough do you realize Moses was 80 years old before he began to lead the children of Israel why was that because he messed up the first 40 and God said, you're not ready yet. So you got another 40 to go, right? Why? Because God is thorough. He's not, it's not quick. See, I know, and I've said this for many years, we are the drive-through Christians, right? We want to drive to a speaker, let our requests be made known, drive around the corner of the first window, pay our tithe, and get the answer to our prayer. Correct? Correct. I'm with you. I'm just as guilty as you are. But I found out in life that God's not concerned about how quick I get the answer. He's concerned about how thoroughly do I get the answer. What did I learn from it? What did it do to change my life? I guarantee you, Joseph's life is changing. And it needs to change. Because he's going to approach her later on with his brothers. He's going to need to change to deal with what's about to happen as we see things go on here. As we study the life of Joseph, we put these things in event here. We see what's going on. The Lord worked thoroughly in Joseph's life. He's working 
thoroughly in your life and my life. And I know we have things kind of figured out. And this time I'll do this. And this time I'll do that. And this time I'll do this. Uh, God's not concerned about that. God's concerned about you being prepared for each step that comes along your way in life. Are you ready for it? So he can prosper you where you need to go. Doesn't mean he doesn't take care of you. Doesn't mean he doesn't meet our needs. It just means before the next move comes along, has he fulfilled whatever that is he's working on in this area, and then we make the next step. He's not concerned about how old he is, by the way, either. He's trying to be thorough with us. And uh, the Lord delivered Joseph from prison, even though the butler did forgive him, uh, forget about him. And God enabled Joseph to interpret Pharaoh's dream in Genesis chapter 41. We know about that. We'll go through that this evening for time's sake. Get to back later on sometime, next, sometime throughout this year here probably. But no matter, whatever, no matter what others have done to you, no matter what they've said about you, no matter what you've gone through, God has not forsaken you. You may think you're in prison and you can't figure out why, but I promise you God has not forsaken you there in prison. Can, can you realize that Joseph is in a heathen land to begin with? Anti-God. Worship everything else but God. You know, I mentioned that in Scripture, but that's exactly where he's at in life. Let's go on. Number three Chapter 42, <clears throat> talk about uh, where he was safer at. Number three, I want to change gears a little bit. Joseph was sinned against by his brothers. His brothers did sin against him. Look at verse number one there, chapter 42. And when Jacob saw that there was corn in Egypt, Jacob said unto his sons, Why do you look one upon another? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is corn in Egypt... Little did his brothers know what was coming, did they? Get you down thither and buy for us from thence that we may live and not die. And Joseph's ten brothers went down to buy the corn in Egypt. But Benjamin, Joseph's brother, Jacob, did not send with his brethren, for he said, lest peradventure mischief befall him like Joseph. So we see here that, and we'll get more in a second here, the chapter. We see here, and I know I'm giving you a quick overview of this and some things we can learn from it. But we see here that, that uh, all of a sudden his brothers, not knowing yet, their sin is going to come back before them. Listen, we're talking years now, right? For years they thought they got it made. For years they thought, hey, it's all, we, we got by with Joseph. Dad's okay. He's going on with life. We've got a younger brother now, and dad, dad take his liking to him, and everything's going to be okay. And all of a sudden, the famine comes along. You've got to get to Egypt and uh, uh, get some, some corn to take care of us. Jacob's, and Joseph, Jacob sends those 10 brothers down there, and guess who they're going to meet? You know who they're going to meet. They're going to meet their brother. Who they thought was long gone somewhere. Look at verse number 6. And Joseph, by this time, I, I know I jumped a lot there, but we know that he interpreted a dream and he got this position. That's from another day. But Joseph was governor over all the land, and he, uh, and, it, and he it was that sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. Now, I didn't talk about this earlier, but you know 
This started when Joseph told his brothers that he had a dream and they were going to do what to him one day? It's, hey, the roosters are coming home to roost, brother. Right? Here, here it started. Okay, verse 7. And Joseph saw his brother and he knew them, but made himself strange unto them and spake roughly, spake roughly unto them and said unto them, Whence come ye? And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph knew his brothers, but they knew him not. And Joseph remembered the dreams which he dreamed of them. And he said unto them, ye are spies. To see the nakedness of the land, ye are come. I don't know. And I try not to put things in scripture that's not there. But I kind of got this feeling that when Joseph saw his brothers, what all he's been through... I got a feeling he wanted to go hug every one of them. Because finally, there's some family. Right? Even though they are the ones that got rid of them. I would think by now God's worked on his life. He's got to a point spiritually in life. He understood that God meant this for something else. He understood the position he was already in when they showed up. And I just kind of got this feeling that, that uh, why he's emotionally, he's emotionally disturbed by what he sees even though he didn't tell them yet who he was. I'm sure he wanted to erase them, erase them, embrace them. And tonight, do you know, our heavenly Joseph wants to do the very same thing for us. He wants to rush to us and embrace us and smother us and, and, uh, and hug us, and, but we must prepare to receive him. And Joseph's brothers weren't ready yet to receive him yet. Just as they sinned against Joseph, We've sinned against the Lord, and we must deal with ourselves. And I'm not trying to make a big point out of this tonight, but I'm going to tell you tonight, I believe the problem we're at Christianity and the problem we're at with, with God's moving in our country is that we now, we now think sin is okay. It's no big deal. And nobody wants to talk about it. They won't talk about my sin. They won't talk about your sin. Uh, churches are guilty of not preaching against sin anymore like we used to preach against sin. Well, because people get mad and they'll leave. Well, I didn't know I was here to make you happy. I was here to keep you right with God. Right? Isn't that what we're all about? There, uh, listen, I tell you why there's nobody at the altars anymore. It's not a cultural issue. It's a sin issue. Because my sin's not that bad anymore. I've gotten used to it. So it's okay. And you study it. I know there's a lot of talk about revival last few months and weeks and a lot of anti, a lot of pro, a lot of con and whatever. And first of all, we don't know what happened, by the way. So don't buy all the stuff you hear and see. But I'll tell you this. When somebody gets up in public and confesses their sins and come clean with a group of people, you know they had to come clean with God. Something's going to happen. That's revival. We're people getting right with God. And uh, that's the problem. And what's going to happen here in these guys' life, not yet, but they're going to find out, they're going to be confronted with their sin. There's going to be a little mini revival going to be happening here. No doubt, Joseph, when he said to them, hey, you're spies, he was thinking about what they called him back before they sold him off and uh, accused him of being a spies. And, and listen, and, I, and I'm not trying to get personal. I'm not trying to get into your life. You're... you. Listen, you have the same spirit of God I have in my life. 
but I believe we've learned how to turn them off and on to when he no longer convicts to a point that we feel so guilty about it, we have to do something about it. I mean, when's the last time you had to embarrass yourself a little bit to make something right? And you know you've done it before. You had a little embarrassment to go make something right with somebody, some person, hope, hopefully not a big church issue, but you had to go make this right. When's the last time you felt so guilty until you went and made that thing right? And right now, when you're saying it was 20 years ago, I'm gonna tell you right now, there's something wrong then. Because the Spirit of God convicts those people who he loves. There needs to be a conviction going on. And I'm not trying to get anybody's business. I'm not trying to get in your household whatsoever. But, but we got a serious problem in our church house. we got a serious problem in our family houses. Why is it? Because I don't think a husband and wife can get to each other and say, you know what, I was wrong. I mean, really wrong. I'm convicted about this. I'm sorry. To the point you don't do it anymore. <laughs> Saying you're sorry and being sorry is two different things. <laughs> Saying you're sorry, but doing something about being sorry, that's being sorry, right? Anyhow, I'm on the wrong subject here, and now you all looking at me like, shut up and move on. But folks, we, we got to realize tonight that we need to deal, and if, listen, the Bible talks about having a calloused heart. It's not a salvation heart. Even though there is a heart that refuses to get saved and becomes very calloused and hard, but we have that, we, we've learned how to be professional Christians, look good, but we no longer feel the guilt because we've kind of managed it. Professional Christianity, how's that? And uh, you say, well, I think you're wrong. Okay, I'm wrong. But God's convicted me about my sin and what I've done. And I've had to embarrass myself and say, you know what? Even as a pastor, I've said, you know what? I made a mistake or I shouldn't have done that against you all. I'm sorry. I've even apologized about something I said from the pulpit that I shouldn't have said that was a little offensive to somebody, and they were right. Most of the things I say, I wouldn't, anyhow, I'll be, I'll be nice. But I'm not worried about it, but there was something I said to a family, and I knew it wasn't directed to them, but they took it personal, blah, 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 and I went and made it right with them. But you're the pastor. I know, I'm a pastor. I should be the example of making things right. Right? Yeah, yeah, anyhow, so you move on, Barry, move on. Okay, I got the message. I'm moving on. Listen, let's go on. Verse number 20. He said, now he's getting ready to send them all the way. He said, now listen, when you come back, bring your younger brother with me so that your words can be verified. He told him who they were, told him the whole story. I won't go through that tonight. Told him what's going on, but you say you got a younger brother. When you come back, you make sure he comes. Verse 21. And they said, one to another, we are very guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the anguish of his soul and he besought us and we were not here. Therefore, in this distress came, come upon us. They're talking about when they took Joseph out of the pit and sold him. They're remembering what they did to their brother. They're feeling very guilty. And they're feeling like what Joseph is asking them to do is somehow giving them to recognize what they've done. You with me? Listen, be sure your sin will find you out. It will come home and roost someday. 
It's going to come back. It may take a while, but it's going to come back. And uh, verse 22, and Reuben answered, said, answered them, saying, Spake I not unto you, saying, Do not sin against the child, and you would not hear. Therefore, behold, also his blood is required. And they knew not Joseph understood them, for he spake unto them by an interpreter. And listen, the sin is beginning to penetrate their soul that they committed against their brother. God's working in their lives. And later on, there's a lesson about Judah and what happened with him. And we'll talk about that tonight at all, but don't have time for that. But Joseph turned and wept because he was yearning to, to, uh, 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 to get things right with his brothers this time. But it wasn't time yet. Boy, how much God desires for us. How God, the precious God desires for us. He longs to bless us. But I think we need to recognize our sinful nature and make it right. We must prepare our hearts to receive the blessing. Now, of course, we know Joseph kept Simeon back from the rest of the brothers, and they traveled back home, told Jacob what was going on, I'm trying to rush through this now, we'll see what time where we're at here, and uh, oh, we're running out of time here. And uh, they knew they were in trouble, and things didn't get any better, and uh, they were getting worse. And uh, listen this evening, I, I don't want to uh, uh, spend a lot of time on that thought, but listen, God wants you to bring your burdens to him. And I love the song, bring your heavy burden to the cross and leave it there. Let the burden bearer bear the burden. Let him bear the burden. But, you know, when God came and uh, uh, God came to him and asked him, uh, listen, I want to help you. And listen, make God help me make my burden lighter. I no longer can bear it. In uh, uh, verse chapter 43, we're going to jump on the fact that the famine got even worse. And they went back home. They found their money in the sacks. We know the story. The money was in the sacks. They got back. They're all worried. They told Jacob what was going on. And uh, Jacob's like, hey, let's go back and get the money back and do this. And they said, can't go back until we take Benjamin with us, right? So they're in a mix still. See, not only did God want to work in Joseph's life, let's get this tonight. Not only did God want to work in Joseph's life, he also wanted to work in every one of those brothers' lives. See, this battle is not just about you. It involves somebody else God's working with. We have to open up our eyes a little bit. We need to see with the whole picture. It's not just about me and my issues and my problem or my prison or whatever someone sinned against me. It's not just about that. And I think Joseph was spiritually enough, mature enough now where he's at. He understood that, that God's doing something uh, because they began talking about what they did to Joseph amongst themselves, not knowing he understood what they were saying. And listen, and God desires for everybody in our circle of life. He wants to work in their life. And God may use your circumstance to work in someone else's life. We've got to realize this, is, this whole thing's bigger than we are. And it's bigger than we can even imagine. But the famine got sore. Jacob finally realized he needed to send them back. He had to send Jacob back with him. In uh, verse chapter 43, we see that's happening there. They get back to see him. Joseph begins to ask him about the welfare of their father. And he meets Benjamin. Of course, he's, he's beginning to really get emotional now. Verse 30 says, Joseph made haste for his bowels did yearn upon his brother. Uh, he sought to weep, uh, where to weep, where no one knew he was weeping. Uh, he washed his face, went back out, refrained himself. Man, he was emotional. 
this, this, this spiritual thing is, is, is an emotional thing. It'll tear you up. It'll, it'll tear you up. And he cried. Have you ever been in a place where you cried so much that you put that cold water on your face to get, try to get rid of all of the impress, uh, uh, expressions of prayer? My, my wife, when she cries, she has red face for a week. It's easy to find out. I, make, I tease her a little bit. But, uh, it, it, you know, you can tell some people it just doesn't go away. But you try to get rid of that. And it's a good thing, by the way. But Joseph wanted to embrace Benjamin, but Tommy wasn't right yet. That happens in chapter 45. But he gave him some corn. He uh, put their money back in the sacks. And, of course, you know, he put the, uh, uh, the extra into Benjamin's, Benjamin's uh, his cup into Benjamin's sack. They get caught. Verse uh, chapter 44. I'm trying to jump through some verses here because I'm going. I'm talking more than I usually talk, by the way. You should be impressed with me. I'm beginning to become like my pastor. But in chapter 44, we see they get caught. The cup is found in Benjamin's sack. And here's one guy that, that I, have a, I have a great admiration for, Judah. In verse 16, Judah said, what shall we say? What shall we say? What can we speak? How can we clear ourselves? God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants. Behold, we are the Lord's servants, both we and he also with whom the cup is found. Judah finally realized, he found out, my sin is not inescapable. And they don't even know it's Joseph yet. They believe all this is happening to them because of what they did to their brother Joseph. Because sin has brought the guilt upon them. And Judah begins to plead for Benjamin. He begins to die to himself, saying, It doesn't matter what happens to me, or something far more important, far more greater. And when Joseph saw Judah, uh, he knew this was time that he was time to make himself make known to his brother. In chapter 45, he does that. And, uh, uh, and we find out that Joseph. Forgiveness was a great revival amongst his brothers. Can you imagine all the years? And all of a sudden, the, listen, I think greater than Joseph's forgiveness is all of a sudden the burden of what they did, the sin against their brother Joseph had to be lifted. Had to be lifted. Because they realized that he's still alive. God is prospering him. God has used him here. And uh, they realize, man, I finally, I finally got to confess it and make it right. Right? And it's years later, it finally comes out. Listen, no matter what others have done to you, no matter what they've said about you, no matter uh, what you've been through, again, I'll say, God has not forsaken you. He's just being thorough, not quick. We want it now. And God says, I got time to wait on you. I'm in no hurry. I'm in no hurry. Number four, we'll see here that they realized that Joseph was sent to Egypt by God. God sent Joseph there to be the position he's in right now. 
Oh, Joseph was sold into slavery and he was uh, uh, sinned against by his brother. He recognized it, was sent by God. Uh, he said, listen, go get, your, go get my father, bring him down here to us. Uh, verse chapter 46, verse 29, Joseph made ready the chariot and he went out to meet his father at Goshen and presented himself to him and he fell on his neck and he wept and cried. Can you imagine Jacob thinking that his son's been dead? And now all of a sudden he's like the governor of Egypt, Right? Can you imagine? So what God did was God took this terrible act by his brother's sin, who they had to make it right, by the way. He turned around so he would spare the nation of Israel. And he used all that. But he was working corporately with Jacob and his family, but he also used it individually in the lives of the brothers to get something accomplished. And uh, what, listen, what a time it must have been when, Jace, when Jacob and Joseph laid a hold of each other. Can you imagine the tears, the hugging, the slobbering? Can you imagine? And I, love, I do love Pharaoh about this story because Pharaoh comes out and says, hey, whatever you need, wherever your family needs, where you want. Oh, we need the land of Goshen. Okay, you can have it. It's yours. Even though they were Shepherds, right? You can have it. Jo Pharaoh so was so much loved Joseph and what he'd done for his land. Hey, Joseph, whatever you want, you name it, it's yours. Listen, when we think of our Savior, we must realize that it was our sins, not his sins, that sent him to the cross. It wasn't anything he had done but it was everything that I had done. That's what sent him there. And we think about that love that God had for us. We ought to think twice about what we're thinking, what we're getting by with that we're not getting by with. And the relationship we're missing with God who longs to embrace us, hug us, slobber with us, and fellowship with us. But God says, listen, I'm willing to wait. I've been doing this for a long time. A couple more years won't matter to me. I'll work on you. And we'll work it out. It'd be a shame to wait till I'm on my back. Knowing I'm not long for this world before I finally cry out and get things correct with my God. When I can enjoy them tonight. I can enjoy it today. I just be willing to call out and get things right with him. Thank you, Lord, for the word of God. Thank you for Joseph. And God, you, you took this situation and we read it and we think about what a terrible tragedy to this young man. But you took that tragedy, what we would say was meant for bad and for evil. You turned it around to be something that was meant for good. And you spared a whole nation of people because of these brothers' sins. You turned it around. But yet while you were working with a nation, at least a few of these brothers got things right with you and got things right with their dad and with their brother. And we thank you for that. And God, help us to realize no matter what we go through in life, that you mean it somehow for good. We thank you for the thought and the truth this evening. We ask you to bless the rest of our evening. In your name I pray. Amen.
thank you for listening today. If you'd like to know more about Central Baptist Church, events, and ministries, please visit our webpage at cbckannapolis.com.